Due to the graphic nature of these crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of stalking, suicidal ideation, violence, and murder that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. Rebecca Schaefer closed the door to her trailer and sat down on the couch. She tried to close her eyes, but couldn't relax when she knew there was still work to be done. She grabbed her script from a nearby table and went over her lines. Just as she was getting into a groove, she was interrupted by the phone. It was the studio security calling to let her know she had a visitor. A fan of hers was outside with candy. He claimed he was expected. Schaefer told the guard she wasn't expecting anyone. She hated to be rude to a fan, but she'd been warned by her agent not to encourage strangers to drop in unannounced. She reluctantly asked the guard to politely turn the man away. He nodded and left. Within hours, Schaefer had forgotten the encounter, but the man who came to see her, Robert John Bardo, never did. He couldn't stomach what he saw as Schaefer's brutal rejection. The next day, he returned to the set. This time, he brought a knife. Hi, I'm Lainey Hobbs, and this is Crimes of Passion, a Spotify original from Parcast. The legal definition of a crime of passion is a violent crime that occurs in the throes of extreme emotion, leaving no time to reflect on the consequences. But in this show, we explore how the passions of our relationships sometimes lead us to criminal activity. How does a husband and wife become killer and victim or killer and co-conspirator? If there's a thin line between love and hate, what manipulates our relationships into deadly results? You can find episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This week, we're covering Robert John Bardo and his obsession with Hollywood actress Rebecca Schaefer. We'll discuss how Bardo became fixated on Schaefer after seeing her on television and how he used her fame as a tool to find and stalk her. Next week, we'll cover Bardo's final confrontation with Schaefer, the highly publicized aftermath, and the lasting effects the case had on the entertainment industry at large. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Blair. Want to hear something scary? Join me as I read the creepiest urban legends, folk tales, and ghost stories that I learn on my travels around the world and that we receive from listeners like you. But only if you think you can handle it. Listen on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, 
sweet screams. A new true crime podcast from the team behind Up and Vanished. In 2016, adventurer Justin Alexander was invited on a trek by an Indian holy man. They headed to a spiritual ground in the Himalayan mountains, a place beyond civilization. The holy man returned and said nothing, but Justin was never seen again. What happened to him? Dive into our investigation in Status Untraced. Available now. Listen for free on Spotify. If anyone needed an escape during their childhood, it was Robert John Bardo. His father reportedly struggled with alcoholism, drug addiction, and bipolar disorder. He has been accused of being physically abusive and emotionally neglectful to all eight of his children. Though Bardo was the youngest, his older siblings seemingly never stood up to protect him from their father. Instead, they often joined in on the violence, taking turns bullying and harassing him. This kind of abuse probably emotionally stunted Bardo, and he grew up to be awkward and quiet. He hated living in his small suburb of Tucson, Arizona, never feeling like he truly fit in. In particular, it seems he had trouble forming relationships with women because he wasn't able to process his feelings in a healthy way. In the early 1980s, he reportedly became obsessed with one of the teachers at his middle school. According to a later interview, after months of uncomfortable staring, he started to send her clumsy love letters. At first, the note seemed relatively harmless, but when the teacher attempted to let Bardo down easy, his messages took a disturbing turn. They became angry and frustrated. Eventually, he even threatened to kill the teacher if she didn't return his affections. After being disciplined for behavior like this, Bardo retreated further within himself. He had no one to turn to, even as the abuse from his father and siblings became unbearable. In 1985, at the age of 15, he snapped, threatening suicide unless his family left him alone. When authorities were notified, they placed him in foster care for a time. It was there that he was formally diagnosed with bipolar disorder, just like his father. Before I continue with Bardo's psychology, please note, I am not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but I have done a lot of research for the show. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, bipolar disorder is a condition which affects a person's mood, leading to episodes of mania and depression. In some cases, the depressive episodes can result in suicidal thoughts. During a manic or hypomanic episode, however, patients might feel incredibly powerful, confident, and even unusually important. The difficulty Bardo had with regulating his mood made it hard for him to focus after he returned from his stint in foster care. The only relief he could find came from watching television. It was there that he became obsessed with a young activist and actress named Samantha Smith. Smith was popular at the time, widely known to the public as America's youngest ambassador during Cold War negotiations. Bardo found her angelic. In his spare time, he sent her rabid fan mail with exaggerated praise and declarations of his love. 
these were only the beginnings of behavior that would persist throughout his life. Writer and psychologist Dr. Robert T. Muller, in his article titled, In the Mind of the Stalker, points out that not all stalkers are driven by the same motivations. He identifies one kind of predator, the intimacy stalker, someone who identifies a person, often a complete stranger, as their true love and begins to behave as if they are in a relationship with that person. These kind of stalkers routinely believe their feelings are reciprocated, even when they're flatly rejected. The intimacy stalker label seems to fit Robert Bardo to a T. He not only believed himself to be in love with Samantha, but was sure she loved him back. His obsession with Samantha Smith, however, was cut short. In 1985, she was killed in a tragic plane crash. 15-year-old Bardo was crushed and soon turned back to his television set to find someone new. He needed someone else to project his fantasies onto and devoted all of his time to finding a new target. He sat in front of his television for hours, scouring shows for the women he felt he was destined to be with. He thought that if he could just find his soulmate, he could reach out to them and they would change his life for the better. His obsession became so severe that Bardo neglected his classwork. In the ninth grade, he dropped out of high school. He got a day job as a custodian in a fast food restaurant, but spent all of his off time staring at the small screen in his living room. He eventually found the next object of his affection while watching the sitcom, My Sister Sam. The show, which was primarily a vehicle for Pam Dauber, also featured the young up-and-coming actress, Rebecca Schaefer. After working in New York City as a model and succeeding as a soap opera star, Schaefer surged onto the primetime television scene. She was helped by Pam Dauber, who loved her hardworking attitude and down-to-earth approachability. She even invited 18-year-old Schaefer to move out to Los Angeles and live with her, so they could bond better as castmates. The sitcom soon propelled Schaefer to further fame. She graced the cover of Seventeen Magazine and TV Guide. The celebrity might have gone to some actresses' heads, but not Schaefer. Through it all, she barely mentioned her career to those closest to her. She seemed almost blissfully unaware of her fame. Many of the people who knew her best attributed her grounded attitude to her parents. Her childhood was everything that Bardo's wasn't. She had supportive and loving people all around her who helped her grow at every step along the way. According to forensic psychologist Dr. Chris Mahandi, Schaefer's girl-next-door persona might have been the primary reason that Bardo was attracted to her in the first place. Dr. Mahandi told ABC News, what we find is the ones that are perceived as more approachable, likable, down to earth, innocent even, those tend to be the people some stalkers get focused in upon. Over time, Bardo's obsession with Schaefer exploded. He recorded every episode of My Sister Sam, watching them over and over again. In between, he made a point to follow everything else she did. 
When he saw her co-host the annual Thanksgiving Day Parade with Joe Perry, he felt his blood boil. He didn't like seeing her even speak to other men. He was overcome by a toxic urge to protect Schaefer's perceived innocence. As a teenager, he crafted a fantasy in which he would save the young actress from the disgusting and sinful ways of Hollywood. He believed she was in danger of being corrupted by the entertainment industry. Only he had the power to rescue her. It wasn't long before he started to send Rebecca Schaefer fan mail, just as he had with Samantha Smith. In his letters, Bardo repeatedly called himself her biggest fan, quoting her own lines from the show back to her. While most famous actors and actresses receive a large amount of unsolicited mail, for the most part, the messages go unanswered. It reflects common advice that is often given to newly famous actors. Fan mail can be an endless black hole. It's generally best not to respond personally to any letters so as not to give delusional viewers the wrong idea. Tragically, Rebecca Schaefer didn't heed these warnings. Eighteen-year-old Schaefer sat at the kitchen table, staring at the enormous pile of envelopes in front of her. Acting came naturally to her, but fame didn't. The prodding eyes, the adoration, and the larger-than-life expectations made her uncomfortable. She looked at the letters as an opportunity to give back, to treat people more like humans and less like fans. Sure, the adults of her life told her to be careful, but she didn't see the harm in making connections. She painstakingly wrote handwritten letters on the back of signed headshots and sent them to almost everyone who took the time to reach out to her. Eventually, she got to Bardo's letters. She could tell how young he was and thought he sounded sweet. She told him as much in her response, signed a headshot, and dropped it in her mailbox. When Bardo received Schaefer's reply, he was ecstatic. To him, it represented the first time a woman had ever given him something other than an outright rejection. Clinical neuroscience specialist, Dr. Michelle Ward, speaks about what receiving the letter might have meant to Bardo's psyche. In Bardo's mind, this letter and this picture confirms for him what he had been believing or hoping, that she reciprocates these feelings for him. Bardo deluded himself in thinking that the intense emotions he had for Schaefer went both ways. He was more determined than ever to make his fantasies a reality, even going so far as to write a song about Schaefer and their imaginary love. To a young man like Robert Bardo, the next step was obvious. He had to take his non-relationship to the next level. At age 17, he packed his bags, bought a bus ticket, and took a Greyhound from Tucson to Los Angeles. What was supposed to be a fairy tale ending quickly turned into a nightmare. What Bardo experienced on his trip to LA would cause him heartbreak, confusion, and most of all, anger. He was ready to make good on the reply he had received from Schaefer, but soon, he would be hit with a cold, hard dose of reality. Coming up, 
Robert John Bardo tries to meet Rebecca Schaefer. Listeners, this month marks 60 years since John F. Kennedy became the 35th president of the United States, ushering his already prominent family into the highest enclaves of political power. But behind their storied successes lie secrets and scandals so severe, if it were any other lineage, they would have been left in ruin. This January, to commemorate this iconic milestone, dig into the dramas of a real-life American dynasty and the Spotify original from Parcast, The Kennedys. This exclusive series from Spotify features your favorite Parcast hosts, covering every angle of The Kennedys from shows like Conspiracy Theories, Crime Countdown, Medical Murders, and others. Assassinations and Conspiracies, Corruption and Cover-Ups, international affairs, and extramarital ones, too. Examine all of the Kennedy family's most controversial moments, all in one place. You can binge all 12 episodes of this limited series starting on Tuesday, January 19th. Follow The Kennedys free and exclusively on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. After more than a year of obsessing over actress Rebecca Schaefer, 17-year-old Robert John Bardo boarded a Greyhound bus to Hollywood in 1987. Because the 19-year-old Schaefer had politely responded to his fan mail, Bardo believed he could win her heart and sweep her off her feet. As he traveled from Arizona to California, he had only one goal in mind, woo Rebecca Schaefer and rescue her from the immorality of the entertainment industry. When he arrived in Los Angeles, he checked into a cheap motel for a week-long stay. After he unpacked, he took a moment to reflect on his plan. While he didn't have Schaefer's address, he knew she would be on the Warner Brothers lot in Burbank filming her sitcom, My Sister Sam. It was there that he would make his move. Schaefer was in her trailer going over lines when she got a call from Warner Brothers security. They let her know there was a guest at the front gate for her who called himself an expected friend. The boy came bearing gifts and candy. Schaefer felt bad about turning someone away, but recognized that she should keep some distance between herself and her fans. She didn't come out to meet him. The rejection hit Bardo like a ton of bricks. In cases of stalking, it's not uncommon for feelings like these to lead to violence. Dr. Christine K. Keenlin wrote in her paper, Developmental and Social Antecedents of Stalking, repeated rejection by the victim may lead to escalation of the stalker's behavior to overt threats or violence. When the stalker's phone calls, letters, or following of the victim prove ineffective, Angry verbal abuse, threats, or even violence may be used in an attempt to coerce the victim into a relationship. 
Bardo eventually left the Warner Brothers lot irritated and hurt. He'd hoped Schaefer would be ecstatic to see him. In his mind, she was just waiting for him to visit after reading his letter. He returned to his motel, frustrated and looking for someone to blame. He decided that the security guards were ultimately at fault. If it hadn't been for him, he could have waltzed up to Schaefer and showed her they were soulmates, but he wasn't about to give up so easily. He returned to the studio later that week. This time, however, he wasn't bearing candy and presents. Instead of acting like a sweet fan, Bardo was angry and seemed deranged. In a fury, he pulled a knife on the security guard and tried to threaten his way onto the lot. Needless to say, he didn't succeed. This time, security didn't even call Schaefer. She was blissfully unaware that Bardo had even come by a second time. Back in his motel room, Bardo was left seething. He didn't have enough money to continue his stay in Los Angeles and was forced to head back to Tucson empty-handed. In the weeks afterward, both Bardo and Schaefer's life changed in major ways. My Sister Sam was canceled in April of 1988. After being moved to a different time slot, the show wasn't holding the ratings it needed in order to continue. The unfortunate news, however, also provided the young actress with new opportunities. Up until that point, Schaefer had been living with co-star Pam Dauber. By the time the show ended, she was seeing a UCLA film student and was ready to plant more permanent roots in Los Angeles. It would be the first time the 19-year-old had ever lived alone, but she was ready. Schaefer eventually settled on an apartment in West Hollywood, excited to embark on the next chapter of her career. For Bardo, however, life was not nearly going so well. Upon returning to Arizona, his behavioral problems worsened. Still infuriated from his failed visit to Los Angeles, he acted out in violent and erratic ways. In a matter of weeks, he was arrested three times, first for domestic violence, then twice for disorderly conduct. The latter charges were brought by his neighbors who claimed Bardo berated and tormented them at all hours of the night. When he wasn't in trouble with the law, he was just as glued to the television as ever. For a while, he stopped his obsessive stalking of Rebecca Schaefer and moved to a pair of different celebrities, Tiffany Darwish and Debbie Gibson. He wrote them letters, but they never responded. Once again, he felt invisible. It made him furious. Back in Hollywood, Schaefer faced considerably different challenges. She wanted to take the next step towards being a serious actress, but worried the world only knew her as a television star. After talking with her agents, she decided she needed to act in a more emotional and more mature film. Scenes from the class struggle in Beverly Hills provided her just the opportunity. The movie released in June of 1989 was more risque than anything she had done up until that point. Her supporting actress role even included a sexual encounter with another character in the movie. 
The scene was far from outrageous, but when Bardo saw the film in a theater in Tucson, he was absolutely enraged. It brought back every irrational fear he'd concocted about Schaefer being morally corrupted by the entertainment industry. In a flash, his fixation shifted from Tiffany and Debbie Gibson back to Rebecca Schaefer. He felt like she belonged to him. The idea that she would be with another man on screen angered him to no end. Later, he would describe the movie as the moment he went over the edge. Doctors Michael Azona, Russell E. Pallarea, and John C. Kane reported in The Psychology of Stalking that jealousy can be a major driver for some stalker's behavior. They write, The jealous type occurs when the suspect maintains the delusion that his spouse or lover is being unfaithful to him in the absence of any supporting data. This has historically been referred to as morbid or pathological jealousy. The persecutory type occurs when the suspect maintains a delusion that he is being mistreated in some way by another. Bardo might have very well perceived the love scene in Rebecca Schaefer's movie to be a twisted form of infidelity. He felt as if his spouse had cheated on him, despite the fact that he'd never even spoken to Schaefer in person. As he watched the scene in the theater, Bardo's face turned scarlet. His mind went blank, and suddenly every thought was replaced by white-hot rage. He wondered what Schaefer could possibly have been thinking. Didn't she know that he was there, waiting to be with her? He screamed in aggravation. In Bardo's mind, there was no more time to waste. He would give Rebecca Schaefer one more chance to be with him. If she didn't take it, he would resort to more extreme actions. Bardo recorded his bizarre feelings in a letter he sent to his sister. He wrote about Schaefer, their supposed destiny together, and the anguish he suffered while watching her character participate in a sex scene. At the end of the message, he lamented, I have an obsession with the unattainable, and I need to destroy that which I cannot obtain. Bardo once again made confronting Schaefer his life's mission. In order to get close to her, though, he needed a plan. When he read about the infamous case of Teresa Saldana, he suddenly knew where to start. Saldana, much like Schaefer, was a highly successful bright young actress. She had gotten her big break in a Martin Scorsese film playing Joe Pesci's wife in Raging Bull. Also like Schaefer, Saldana had a dangerous stalker. She was followed and sought after by Arthur Richard Jackson, a Scottish drifter who became obsessed with her from thousands of miles away. Much like Bardo, Jackson wanted Saldana all to himself and would stop at nothing to have her. In 1982, Jackson used what little money he had to hire a private detective to find out where Saldana lived. The PI was unable to find her address, but did find the phone number for Saldana's mother. That was enough for Jackson. He called Saldana's mother and posed as one of Martin Scorsese's assistants. 
He claimed that Scorsese had another role he wanted Saldana to read for and that he just needed her address so he could send her the script. Thinking she was helping her daughter's career, Saldana's mother gave him what he asked for. Later that week, Jackson intercepted Saldana on the doorstep of her West Hollywood home. In the middle of the day, he pulled a hunting knife on her and without saying a word, viciously attacked her. A terrified crowd looked on in horror as Jackson stabbed her so violently that the blade of the knife bent from the force. Jackson managed to inflict 10 knife wounds by the time an onlooker named Jeff Fenn stepped in. Fenn wrestled Jackson to the ground and disarmed him. Miraculously, Saldana survived the horrible attack. She would go on to become a staunch advocate for victims of stalking as she continued her acting career. She even went on to play herself in a successful film about the attack. Jackson, on the other hand, was sent to prison for 14 years before being extradited back to the UK in 1998. Bardo came across the details of the Saldana case while reading through People magazine, which had done a feature story on the stabbing. While the article was meant to invoke feelings of disgust in the reader, Bardo instead reacted with understanding. To him, it was an instruction manual on how to deal with his feelings for Rebecca Schaefer. Former prosecutor Marcia Clark noted that it isn't uncommon for stalkers to use each other for inspiration. She stated in an ABC 2020 special that there is this tendency, by the way, for these stalkers to copy one another, study one another. Bardo used Arthur Jackson's plan as a blueprint for his own. From Tucson, he hired a private investigator in Los Angeles to try and track down Schaefer's address. Unfortunately, the detective was successful. In the late 1980s, finding out where someone lived was incredibly easy. All the investigator had to do was go to the DMV and pay a nominal fee of $5 to $10 to learn her housing information. It was possible to find information on anyone registered in the city this way. Some celebrities used fake names when filling out their leases to avoid this very situation, but Schaefer hadn't. The PI dutifully tracked down Schaefer's West Hollywood address and sent it back to Bardo. With a roadmap to his victim in hand, Bardo took the next step in his plan, buying a gun. It wasn't nearly as easy as he'd hoped. By that point, he was clearly unwell and in desperate need of care. He was so confused that he brazenly admitted to the gun store owner that he suffered from mental illness. As a result, the man refused to sell him a weapon. When he did, Bardo snapped, screaming and threatening him. This, of course, only reassured the seller that Bardo shouldn't be allowed anywhere near a firearm. Unfortunately, he refused to give up. Bardo next approached one of his brothers and begged him to buy a gun for him. Initially, he was rebuffed, but Bardo was insistent. He pleaded with his brother for hours until he finally gave in out of sheer annoyance. Bardo's brother bought him a pistol on the condition that he promised not to use it without supervision. It was absurd to expect someone in Bardo's mental state to follow these directions, 
but all Bardo's brother cared about was being left alone. Once he had the gun, Bardo found it relatively easy to purchase the ammo himself. He bought hollow points, a special kind of ammunition designed to kill quickly. With all of his preparations in place, Bardo sat down to compose his final letter to Schaefer, one she would never receive. In the note, he told Schaefer that he was coming to see her. He was going to save her from the evils of Hollywood one way or another. In July of 1989, 19-year-old Bardo once again boarded a Greyhound bus and got ready for a long ride. Back in West Hollywood, Rebecca Schaefer was completely unaware she was being stalked. After moving into a swanky apartment, her life was beginning to take a turn for the better. She became serious with her boyfriend, who spent the majority of nights at her new place. Her career blossomed as well. Following her role in scenes from the class struggle in Beverly Hills, she started to be considered for some of the most sought after projects in Hollywood. And in the summer of 1989, the role every young actress had their eyes on was the part of Mary Corleone, the daughter of Al Pacino and Diane Keaton in The Godfather Three. After a few meetings with Francis Ford Coppola, the producer of the film, she was granted a full-fledged audition. On July 18, 1989, Schaefer woke up bright and early. That day, she was expecting a courier to arrive with the Godfather 3 script for her to peruse. She had a meeting set with Coppola that evening to talk about the part. She was more excited than she'd ever been, determined to make her mark on film history. Just a few hours away, Bardo was sitting towards the back of an interstate bus, trundling ever closer to Los Angeles. He kept to himself on the journey, his mind laser-focused on his plans. The moment of truth was approaching. Soon, in trying to fulfill his fantasy of being a storybook hero, he would become one of Hollywood's most notorious villains. Up next, Bardo's climactic encounter with Rebecca Schaefer. Now, back to the story. By June of 1989, 19-year-old Robert John Bardo's obsession with 21-year-old Rebecca Schaefer had reached its peak. He decided that he would give the Hollywood actress one more opportunity to be with him. If she refused, he wasn't going to give her another chance. That day, Schaefer was eagerly waiting to receive a script for The Godfather Three by Courier. She had a meeting with Francis Ford Coppola later that day and wanted to be absolutely prepared. But the Courier wasn't the only person en route to her West Hollywood home. Robert John Bardo was on a Greyhound bus headed for Los Angeles. Armed with the address he'd gotten from a private investigator, he was going straight for her front door. As Bardo sat on the bus and gazed out at the arid desert landscape, he clutched his backpack to his chest. Inside was everything he thought he needed to win Schaefer over. Along with the pistol his brother had bought him, 
He had the signed headshot and letter Schaefer had written to him years ago. He also carried a CD he bought for her, as well as a copy of Catcher in the Rye. The book was an homage to another famous crime, more evidence that Bardo wasn't afraid to copy other stalkers. On December 8, 1980, Mark David Chapman assassinated John Lennon. He was famously carrying a copy of Catcher in the Rye at the time. Chapman went so far as to claim that the book had told him to carry out his mission. As soon as a greyhound arrived in Los Angeles, he set to work fulfilling his destiny. He traveled directly to Rebecca Schaefer's neighborhood. As he wandered through the West Hollywood streets, he took out a picture of Schaefer and showed it to random passersby. Erratic and unhinged, Bardo asked the strangers if they'd seen the woman in the picture and exactly which house she lived in. The people he stopped would later report feeling uncomfortable and frightened by his presence. He seemed confused and dangerous, yet no one thought to call the police. The entire episode remains a mystery. Bardo already knew Schaefer's exact address. He didn't need to ask directions. This kind of behavior suggests that Bardo was in the middle of a manic episode during his trip to Los Angeles. These periods of excitable unpredictability can be a symptom of bipolar disorder. Dr. Zona, Palarea, and Lane have discussed the way manic episodes can lead to problems. They write of those with bipolar disorder. Many of these individuals stabilize and appear quite normal between their episodes of mania or depression, which vary greatly in cycle length. One of the most troublesome symptoms in these individuals is their grandiose beliefs, which often manifest in delusions of power wealth and special relationships. Bardo completely believed that he had a fated relationship with Schaefer and was acting to secure it. The Psychiatry of Stalking lists some of Bardo's actions as symptoms of a manic episode, writing, these individuals suffer from symptoms that include heightened motor activity, extreme elation, inflated self-esteem, grandiosity, decreased need for sleep, pressured speech, incessant talking, flight of ideas, racing thoughts, and distractibility. After a bit of confused wandering, Bardo found his destination. As he stood at Rebecca Schaefer's front door, he felt a rush of excitement, of hope even. He still thought his dreams were about to come true. He imagined that the love of his life was inside, waiting for him to come and rescue her. He took a deep breath and rang the doorbell. Schaefer's apartment was usually equipped with an intercom that let her talk with whomever was outside without having to actually be face to face. Unfortunately, the system had broken earlier that week. Schaefer assumed the courier was at the door with her script. She walked down the stairs full of excitement when she opened the door and came face to face with Robert John Bardo, she was very surprised. Before she could react, Bardo greeted her and introduced himself. He showed her the signed headshot she'd sent him and then began rambling, stumbling over his words and growing more agitated by the second. Eventually, his scattered speech lost steam. 
Schaefer did her best to remain cordial. She thanked him for stopping by and then politely excused herself and went back inside. Just like that, Bardo lost another chance to fulfill his fantasy. The encounter had gone nothing like he intended. He left the apartment building and retreated to a nearby diner to take stock of what had happened. Once again, he needed a new plan. He went to a diner around the block and sat in a corner booth to have breakfast. Among other things, he had completely forgotten to give Schaefer the CD he bought for her. There are countless possibilities as to what he could have been thinking in those moments. Eventually, he gathered up his things and went into the bathroom of the diner. He loaded his gun with the hollow points and steeled himself for what was to come. He stayed in the restroom, psyching himself up for so long that another patron started pounding on the door. That was his cue. Bardo left in a rush and made his way back onto the streets of West Hollywood. For her part, Schaefer didn't dwell too much on her encounter with Bardo. She had work to do and she had no idea who he was. She laid out what she was going to wear for her meeting with Coppola and hopped in the shower to get ready. Meanwhile, Bardo walked straight back to her apartment without stopping to ask anyone any questions. His distracted manic thinking had subsided. Now, he was completely focused. The only thing he did take a break for was to call his sister back in Tucson from a payphone. In cryptic language, he told her that she was going to hear some horrible things about him later in the day. She had no idea what he meant, but his tone was terrifying. She begged him not to do whatever it was he was planning to do. Unfortunately, he didn't listen. Bardo hung up the phone and continued on to Schaefer's apartment unimpeded. As he reached the front door, his hand trembled and he stopped to take another breath. Around 10.15 a.m. on July 19, 1989, he rang the doorbell again. This time, Schaefer was sure that the man at the front door had to be the courier with her script. She leapt out of the shower and raced down the stairs in a towel still soaking wet. When she opened the door again, her heart dropped. There again was Robert John Bardo. As soon as he saw her face, Bardo started rambling. This time though, Schaefer wasn't as polite. According to his later testimony, she looked him in the eyes and said, you're wasting my time. She went to close the door, but Bardo stopped her and insisted she wait. He said he'd forgotten to give her something. Frustrated, Schaefer opened the door again. Bardo reached his hand into his bag. In just a matter of seconds, their story would reach its tragic climax. Thanks again for tuning into Crimes of Passion. We'll be back Wednesday with part two on Robert John Bardo and Rebecca Schaefer. We'll discuss Bardo's final confrontation with Schaefer and how his actions changed Hollywood forever. 
You can find more episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next time when true love meets true crime. Crimes of Passion is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Trent Williamson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Kitovich. This episode of Crimes of Passion was written by Frank Spiro, with writing assistance by Terrell Wells, fact-checking by Haley Milliken, and research by Mickey Taylor and Chelsea Wood. I'm Lainey Hobbs. Fact. Fiction. Fame. Discover the real story behind one of history's most formidable families in the Spotify original from Parcast, The Kennedys. Remember, you can binge all 12 episodes starting on Tuesday, January 19th. Listen free and exclusively on Spotify.